morning, I want to speak to you for just a few minutes on the difference the Holy Spirit makes. The difference the Holy Spirit makes. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would turn to Acts chapter 2. I want to read verses 14 through 18. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. It says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Father, as we approach the word this morning, I ask that through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, you would enlighten the truth to us, deposit in us the very things that we need as we move forward as the people of God, and thus we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you very quickly some things that are foundational to our understanding as we seek the power of the Holy Spirit within our life. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a person. It is not an it. There have been situations where we have heard of the the Holy Spirit being spoken of as if it is an it. It is not. He's not an object or a force that you get a hold of. He is not impersonal. He is a person. Because if it were something that was impersonal that we could get a hold of, we could then use it to our benefit. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, when he gets a hold of our life, he then uses us for his benefit. He is not an object and he is not a thing because the scripture tells us that he can be grieved or saddened by any action of mine. We also know that the Spirit can be lied to, that he can be quenched, and yes, he can be blasphemed. So we recognize foundationally that the Holy Spirit is a person and he is divine. He has all the attributes of God. He is eternal. He is without beginning or ending. He is all-knowing. Nothing is hid from his presence. He not only knows everything that is in my heart this morning, he knows everything that is in every one of your hearts this morning as well. And What I appreciate the most is knowing all of that. He also knows the mind of God, and he represents the mind of God to us. The Holy Spirit is all-powerful, and he is always present everywhere with everyone simultaneously. He does the work of God. He is active in creation. He is active in our spiritual regeneration. None of us come to Jesus Christ and encounter his grace and are changed and are saved without the work of the Holy Spirit in our spiritual regeneration. We are born of the Spirit of God. He does the work of God in terms of bringing about Scripture. We know that all Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit as he worked upon the hearts of the writers to bring it to us. We also know that he is at work within our lives as we read the Scripture to lead us and guide us into all truth of the Word. He is active in leading us to truth. So when we pray for the Spirit to be at work within our lives, we're not asking to get a hold of a bolt of electricity. We're not asking that we can just grab something and suddenly that we would become electrified or energized with some sort of fireworks going off within our being. 
What we're asking for is to be indwelled and filled to overflowing with the person of the Holy Spirit. At the same time, the Holy Spirit has a unique way of accessing supernaturally our innermost being. I have said to parents many times whose children have begun to wander off, don't stop praying because they can run from you, but they cannot run from the inward voice of the Holy Spirit who has access to places that we do not. The Holy Spirit is also deeply interested in your self-esteem. He wants to make us confident and he wants to make us competent. And because the Holy Spirit is unique, because the Holy Spirit has supernatural access to our heart, he is able to do things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And sometimes he is able to do a work within our lives and our mind and our heart that not even very competent counselors are able to do for us. I believe that when we come to an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and how he wants to work within us and the changes that he wants to make, it will transform your worship and it will transform your pursuit of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as you begin to see the depth of the work that he wants to do to improve ourselves in light of what God's desires are for us. Very quickly this morning, I want to present to you five ways that the Holy Spirit is at work within us. I'm going to kind of rush through the first four, just giving a quick thumbnail sketch because I want to spend a little more time on the fifth one, and these are all listed for you in the bulletin if you'd like to make some notes. The first one, the Holy Spirit is a confirmer. He is a confirmer. In Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, the Scripture declares, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with your spirit that we are God's children. I do not know where I read it, and I did not make note of the author or I'd give them credit, but I have read somewhere that we can never give love until we have been loved. We cannot impart to others self-esteem until we feel as if we have been esteemed in some way. This is the Holy Spirit's unique role within our life. He has come to let us know that we have been accepted by God And he begins to confirm within our hearts the decisions that we have made to become a follower of him. Even when our conscience says nothing has happened, the Spirit of God says everything has happened and you've been transformed. I don't know about you, but I often have arguments with my own conscience. My conscience will tell me, listen, Doug, with an attitude like yours, you are not qualified to pastor the people that you pastor. You know what? You're not even worthy to be called my child. And the devil, of course, picks up on the things that my conscience begins to tell me and says, oh, I agree, I agree. I agree with your conscience. And begins to tell you that you are not fit to be called a child of God. You are not fit to be used in the kingdom of God. You are not worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But it's in those moments that the ministry of the Holy Spirit changes things. 
Because the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you and says, listen, sometimes you can't even listen to your own opinion about yourself. You need to listen to what I have to say about you. And I am confirming to you that regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you may be involved with, when you have come to know Christ and you're pursuing him with your heart, he confirms to you the sonship that you have through Jesus Christ and he will go to battle with the enemy that tells you that you're not worth it. The Holy Spirit comes alongside. Comes alongside and he says, you are God's son. You are God's daughter. And I put within you the confidence that even in those moments when you don't feel like you, you can cry out and say, you are my father and I belong to you. The reason that I know that I am a believer is not just something that resides in me, but it's something that arises within me when the confirming power of the Holy Spirit walks alongside me and declares to me that I am a child and I've learned that it's not me, but it's the the Spirit's function to bear witness to the testimony of my relationship with the Father. Psalm 42.7 puts it this way, there's deep that calls to deep. There's a lot of meaning in that and I would love some time to begin to explain it all, but here's the way I will paint it as a picture. We live in a world where we have a moon that has a power that we do not see, but its effect on our water systems and effect on our oceans is incredible. We've learned, those that live by the water, to adjust to the tides, and regularly they come in and out, and even though it's an unseen power, there's tremendous influences, deep calls to deep and moves things. I want you to know it's like that the Holy Spirit moving within our life draws things out of you and moves things and arranges things in your life so that you recognize this is not something I can produce. This is God produces in me and he confirms those things every day as the deep of his spirit draws to the deep of us. We are not simply an illegal experience whereby we have a legal right to be called God's children but the spirit bears witness in our hearts depositing something within us that brings us not just to a a place where we recognize him as Lord, but it brings us to a place of enjoying the family of God, being confirmed in it and having an exhilarating experience. And today we would never know we're God's child unless the Spirit bears witness to our heart. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is our corrector. In Ephesians 4.30, the Scripture talks about the Spirit being grieved. Because at salvation the Holy Spirit resides within you, you who have lived for Christ any length of time know what it's like when you are stepping outside of the will of God because there's something that begins to happen on the inside of you that we call the convicting power of God. I liken it almost to to a, a voice of a mother who has unbelievable intuition that tells her, I know who you've been hanging around with because your behavior changes. The Spirit of the Lord says, I know where you've been going because your nature changes. It's it's not looking more like me, it's less like me, and I'm going to correct you in that. Sometimes we find ourselves falling into consistent patterns of sinfulness, and we wonder, will there come a time when the Holy Spirit will no longer make us aware of this pattern? But I want you to know, isn't it tremendous that He never gives up on us? He never gives up on us. He's far more generous in the way that he corrects us. Through his grieving on the inside, we are drawn back to him. He lets us know that no matter how habitual our attitudes or our actions may be, he is still working on us because he wants to, to, bring, wants to bring us to the conformity of his son, Jesus Christ. And we have this innate ability 
to know when the Spirit of the Lord is at work on the inside of us, and we would do well to obey quickly when God wants to correct us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The third dimension of the Spirit's role within our self-esteem is He is our counselor. He's our counselor. When we go to a counselor, we find a place that is safe for us to pour out our heart of everything that is within it. We empty ourselves and, and we hope that the person that we're speaking with has the training and the ability to discern what's going on in our life and begin to give a direction that would bring us to a place of health. Some sort of a perspective or a framework that would help us undergo some corrective measure. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said. I love that, that there's two parts of that. He teaches you and then he reminds you what he taught you. Because here's what happens. There are times when there are circumstances arise in your life when there's nobody around you to cheer you up. In those moments, you gotta preach to yourself. You have to get a hold of yourself by the collar and say, listen, self. I need to be reminded what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell me about who I am and what I am and where I'm going and what's going to happen because it looks dark to me, but I recognize that the Spirit comes to me and as a counselor, he begins to bring me to a direction where he can be at work within my life. And here's how that happens. Sometimes it's an inner direction. Have any of you been in a situation where you didn't have a lot of time to pray? You, you were faced a decision and all you could say is, oh, Jesus, which way do I go? And there's an inner voice that you just have to lean on that he will guide you and direct you to the place that he needs you to go. Sometimes, and probably most of the time, the way the Spirit ministers to us, however, is while we're reading the Bible. There are specific verses, and by the way, if you leave your Bible in the seat, I go through them. Just want you to know that. It's a whole lot harder in the cell phone age. But we see in our scripture there's, there's verses that at different times of our life means different things to us. And the Holy Spirit through the leading and the guiding takes that, that verse or group of verses and he begins to explode it right into the situation that we are living in. And he brings us counsel through his word. Lord, what, what do I do? Boy, the word just addressed that. I also believe and I trust and I hope that while you sit here listening to a sermon on Sunday morning from your pastor that there are times when God will begin to enlighten something to your heart and give you a direction that you need. I trust that this is valuable spiritual time for you. I've often laughed with the staff. I said, you know, Thursday is my least favorite day of the week because I call it throwout day. I have prepared all week and I only get to preach like a quarter of what I studied and so you have to understand that God has hit me with three quarters more than he ever gives to you because he just knows how to work within my life but God uses those things there may also be times when the Holy Spirit as a counselor will manifest himself through the ministry of the Holy Spirit sometimes there may be a prophetic word in a small group Maybe there's a message in tongues and an interpretation. Maybe somebody comes to you and says, I don't know why, but I feel directed to the Lord, maybe just to encourage you with, does this scripture mean something to you? Is, does this word of the Lord mean something to you? But the Holy Spirit has a way of counseling us in multiple different ways. And because we know that he is a counselor, it means that we can feel safe pouring out our issues to the Lord, knowing that he has the direction for our life. He is a counselor. 
He also, however, is a comforter. This is not a term that we give the Holy Spirit. This is a term that Jesus gave the Holy Spirit. In fact, in the context of Jesus' description, he told the disciples that he was going to send them a leather comforter. In other words, the word within that Greek word was, was paraclete. In other words, I'm going to send you somebody exactly like me, but the difference in the Holy Spirit and the physical presence of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit can be with every one of us simultaneously leading and uplifting Jesus in all of our lives. And so he brings to us a comforter. And there's, there's depth in this word paraclete that, that I want to just try to give a glimpse to today because this word paraclete can also be accurately interpreted as, as the Holy Spirit comes to bring your comforter, he also comes to instill bravery. He instills bravery. Or he is one that comes to get inside of you and strengthens you. In other words, he comes and forms a structure on the inside of your spiritual life that regardless of the pressures on the outside, it will not crush you because of the structure that he brings within you. And so this is a ministry of becoming structure that holds you together in everything of life. It instills a bravery. It, it is not just making you better. He's making you new, and he gives you a strength that onlookers will never understand. This pressure we, we see in Revelation chapter 1. John is an old man now. He had been the youngest of the disciples and as an old man is, is looking as he's exiled on an island of Patmos and he's literally looking around and seeing everything that he and the disciples had put their life work into. It looks like it's crumbling around him. It's a time when it looks as if the church is going to be destroyed by Domitian's fist and smashing through the hopes and the dreams. And the young church of Jesus has been mangled and battered and bloodied by the work of the enemy and the persecution that's taking place. And all by himself on this island, when it seems as if everything he's invested in is going to fall down, it tells us in John 1.9, I, John, or Revelation 1.9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And then there are these marvelous words that he writes. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet. Let me tell you how this encourages me. Because I believe that there are situations that face all of our lives where we feel as if everything that we have put our effort into is collapsing around us. Moments when it seems as if the enemy is crushing every dream, every passion, everything that we'd hoped for, and it all seems to be falling apart. And I want you to know that in those moments, the Spirit of the Lord arrives, and he begins to speak into your heart, and he lifts you up in ways that you never dreamed, and he begins to allow you to see things that you did not see. And anyone who has ever had real serious contract, contact with the Holy Spirit knows that in the moments of our deepest, darkest hurts, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and he lifts us up to another reality. He lifts us to an ultimate dimension where we see not the problem, but we see the Lord reigning over the problem and he changes our view as he comes and helps us. Paul says that we who have been comforted having been through those situations, then likewise can comfort others. There's a ministry that begins to evolve, evolve from this after you have been through it, which leads us to the fifth aspect of the Holy Spirit and how he affects our self-esteem. 
He makes us competent. He makes us competent. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The word for power is related to the word dynamite, but it carries a vastly different idea than dynamite. You see, dynamite is something that it blows up once in a huge, great big bang, and then you're left with nothing that you have put it in or a hole in the ground. It's, it's destructive and it's damaging. But dunamis, which is the word that is used here, Jesus is talking about, is not something that goes off like a firecracker or an explosion. But the meaning here is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the power that is deposited in your spirit affects your competency. It explodes your abilities in brand new ways that you could not have motivated yourself because it's Holy Spirit driven. Here's how we see this. On the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people in the upper room. When the power of God fell, it says that all of them began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. Some of those tongues were known languages that people that were speaking them didn't know, but those on the outside heard and said, these people don't know my language. How are they speaking it? There were other tongues that were there that were heavenly tongues or something that was not known to man but was direct from the inner heart of one to the heart of God. Interesting to note that out of those 120 that were baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, instantly all of them had different competencies that were given to them. One of them, Peter, out of the 120 stood up and he began to preach in a brand new anointing with a brand new fervor and 3,000 people responded to the message of Jesus Christ. Not all 120 preached. But all 120 were given new capacities through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. New various capacities that the Spirit of the Lord gave them. Here's how this affects us today. If I were to ask each of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, due to the growth that our church is experiencing, I need to assign to each of you 30 brand new believers. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to teach them the Bible. I want you to meet with them. I want you to disciple them, help them to grow in the things of the Lord. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to steward their life and all of their resources so that they can honor God in all that they do. Probably, most of you would look at me and say, who, me? I, I, don't, I don't think I can do that. This is where the baptism of the Holy Spirit when it enters into the life of the believer, changes our competencies. Doesn't make us like we can do it, but we know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we begin to move in those ways when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon us. There's three problems that we face in regard to self-esteem that the Spirit of the Lord addresses. The first is the, con the consists of our identity. I must know who I am and I must be comfortable with who I am, and I must not try to be anybody else other than who I am. I don't know if there's a day that goes by that my wife and I don't have a conversation that doesn't include these words. I wish I were like... Any of you ever had those? We look around and we admire all of you so much, we're going, man, there are qualities that you have in your life. I wish I were like... 
And I believe that we probably all do that, but I want you to understand that one of the things that the enemy does to try to destroy us is try to bring us to a place of comparing ourselves. The competencies that the Spirit of God are going to deposit on you are going to be different competencies than other people, but necessary nonetheless. The second issue that we deal with in the area of self-esteem is our sense of worth. One of the things the Holy Spirit does when he baptizes us is he brings us to a place where we know, I am important to somebody. I am important to God, and I am important to myself. And he begins to elevate our self-esteem through the work that he does within our lives. The third aspect of self-esteem that he begins to deal with is the aspect of competency. I can do something. I am able, not because of who I am or what I have, but because of the Holy Spirit indwelling and moving and working through me. God can do anything. He's a God that works in the impossible, and so when he indwells you and baptizes you, your competencies change so that the work that you do, he gets the glory for. Dr. George Wood did a fascinating study on the difference in right-brained and left-brained people as it relates to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I got so excited about that this week. I, I ran home and I said, Cindy, I gotta tell you about all this stuff. And she wasn't nearly as excited at that moment as I was in wanting to share that, but she's excited this morning. I just want you to know that. <laughs> Dr. Wood said, when we look at the Trinity, we find corresponding resources that matches the needs that we have. It's from the Father that we gain our identity. We are his children. It is from the Son that we get our sense of worth. He loved us so much, he died for us. Can any of us say that we are not worthy when the Son paid such a high price and invested so much in us? He said it's from the Spirit that we gain our sense of competency. He gave us power. And Dr. Wood went on to say that the competency of the Holy Spirit affects two sides of our existence. He said, neurosurgeons, psychiatrists, and psychologists have identified different function of our left brain and our right brain. Some of you are quite familiar with being left brain or right brain people. For those of you that didn't know it, you do have two sides to your brain. The left brain functions as the analytical side. Uh, left brain people would be people that are very organized, that have to have everything clean and in the right place. Uh, it's a side of the brain that is also spiritually concerned with doctrine. I'm going to check everything you say, Pastor, to the Word of God, and it better be right. <laughs> I encourage that. Many of us function in the left brain side. How many of you would consider yourself left brain people? You're, you're analytical. You know. Interesting. There's another whole side to our brain. It's the right brain side. The right brain side people are generally understood because it is an emotional side. It's the non-rational side. It is the intuitive side. It is, it is the creative side. It also is the side that would be most likely to be spirit-led. The spirit-led side. And so you take the early church when Jesus speaks the words to them that they shall receive the power after the Holy Spirit comes upon them and you're a left-brained person hearing that from the Lord. Here's what goes through the mind of a left-brained person at that particular time. Okay, Jesus, you're saying that we can change the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just remind you, God, that at that particular time there were 300 million people living in the Mediterranean world and I look around this room and there's 120 of us. 
your left brain is going to say, can't be done. It's an impossible task. It's too many for all of us to reach. It's outside what is rational. The Holy Spirit, what he did on the day of Pentecost was invade the right side of their brains. And he began to reach them on an emotional level. He began to reach them on an intuitive level. He began to stir them on a level that goes beyond what is rational. The Holy Spirit plunged supernatural power of competence and confidence deep into their existence and gave them the power to face the challenge that was before them because he's a God of both sides of the brain. And there are three elements to the baptism of the Holy Spirit that works to make us competent. Number one, the Holy Spirit works to cause us to listen to God. God through the Holy Spirit has a personal word for each of you. Each of you. A personal word for our life. I believe that. I believe that there is an individual mission that God has for your heart that the Holy Spirit wants to implant within us. He's calling us to begin to open up our lives to hear what the Spirit has to say to us as individuals because if we all walk individually in obedience, we will be a marching church that cannot be stopped by the power of the living God. The second dimension of the Spirit's working in our life in, in making us competent is this he implants dreams and visions into your spirit the holy spirit is the one that implants dreams and visions into your life for those of you that were with us back on the last sunday in july we had a business meeting here when we were voting to pursue whether or not we wanted to buy that land on the corner of mcdonald and ball I remember that because I was standing here and there was lots of questions, really, really good questions that forced us to really begin to evaluate how we wanted to do this and how it was going to be possible. I also remember very, very clearly Verna Cox, a woman who attends our church when she can, she's into her 90s, standing up in the back of the sanctuary right over here and saying, let me tell you a vision that God gave me 11 years ago. She said, when I moved into my apartment complex, I opened the door on the first day I lived there and I looked out and there was vacant land across the street and the Spirit of the Lord spoke to her and said, I want you to know that I've got my hand on that place. There is coming a day when the revival power of the Holy Spirit will infest the whole valley from this piece of property right here. 11 years she had no idea what that meant until we promoted the day that this is the land that we want to buy. And she says, that's the land I saw 11 years ago through the Spirit. God spoke to me through a vision, and it confirmed to our congregation that we could unanimously pursue this because God is the one that plants visions and dreams, and he brings them to pass sometimes when we least expect it. I cannot live, nor would I ever be able to administer effectively unless I begin to ponder the fact that God still gives dreams and still gives visions of what the Holy Spirit is placing within our hearts. And it may seem foolish when it arrives, but I want you to know that when you allow access to the right side of your brain, the intuition of the Holy Spirit will begin to say, I'm planting something in this side because together as a whole, you'll have the faith you need to pursue what I am doing. He's planting today dreams and visions that he's preparing us for a future reality for. And if you don't believe that's the case, then just look 
under the fields, for they are white unto harvest. I have to admit, when I was standing there in the road, filming over my shoulder that there was this thought that was coming to me, that the day that we enter into that building, the moment we get there in our first service, there will still be more people on the outside than there will be on the inside. So it's time to see yourself in a new light. The last thing the Holy Spirit does for us is He changes our language. He changes our language. I've had many people that have had very little experience with a Pentecostal church come up to me and say, why, why is it that the initial physical evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance? And I would say, you know what? I didn't choose that. I just proclaim it. God chose it. There was something about our tongue that he wanted to redeem. And he wanted to redeem it in such a way as to frustrate the enemy who can't read your mind, but he can read your, your patterns and your attitudes and can lead you into temptation. And it has to frustrate Satan to no end that there is a language as the deep of the heart of God calls to the deep of the heart of the believer. And there's a connection that's made to the heart of God as we begin to speak as the Spirit gives us utterance. And in that, there's a yielding process that we come into obedience that begins to open the flood of what God wants to do within our life. I think one of the reasons why on the day of Pentecost there were 120 that spoke in tongues is that God wanted to baptize that side of their existence because he knew that in order to face the task that was in front of them, they needed to be able to walk in the intuition of the Holy Spirit and encounter emotionally God in a brand new way. And what it says that they spoke is that they were speaking the wonderful works of God with a language of praise and their hearts were exalted. You show me a person that's joyful. You show me a person that's vibrant. You show me a person that seems inebriated in the presence of God and I will show you a person that is competent to be able to do everything that God calls them to do. But when we wallow in sadness and shallowness, and our spirit is not confident, and we have difficulty seeing through the eyes of the faith, we limit what God can do. So one of the realities of the baptism is that God brings to us a flow and a flood of competency that we would never have on our own. If the worship team would please prepare themselves to come. There's, there's an interesting passage of Scripture that's found in Acts 16, and I'm just going to quickly try to tell you the story. It speaks to God changing people's language, not just, not just speaking in tongues through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but how that affects the way that we speak everywhere else. Paul was preparing for his second missionary journey, and as you begin to see the saga unfold, he got into an argument with a very, very dear friend. It was such a difficult argument that they split up and Paul went his own way. It was one of the most difficult moments of Paul and Barnabas' life. So Paul goes his own way, and he literally, in disappointment and anger, he walks to Antioch. And as he's there, he wants to go one place, and the Spirit tells him no. He wants to go to the west, and the Spirit closes the door. He wants to go to the north, and the Spirit closes the door. So in this situation in his life, when things aren't making sense, he goes to Troas, where when he's there, he has this visionary experience which is comforting to all of us to know that we don't have to have a good day in order for the Spirit to be at work within us. And then after that comforting thought, let me just kind of hammer you with this. He then goes from having a good day
when the Spirit talks to him in a bad day to having a bad day in obedience to the Spirit. Because he goes to Philippi and watches God as a demon-possessed girl is set free and then as a result of some things, he gets thrown into prison for doing what's right. The Bible indicates that he was in stocks. His hands and his feet were locked up and he had been beaten and he's bleeding from his back. I cannot even begin to imagine the pain that he's experiencing. And in that moment, he had a decision to make. I have to admit to you that if it had been me, my words to God would not have been encouraging. I probably would have said something to him like, what in the world are you doing? Do you not know I'm walking in obedience? I'm doing what you asked me to do. I never expected to be beaten for this. But somehow the Spirit of God living within him helped him overcome that. And rather than speaking in sadness and discouragement, it changed his language. So not only does the baptism of the Holy Spirit change your language to a heavenly language, it also changes your understood language to a language of encouragement. Because here's what they did. At midnight, he was singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening. And in the face of his experience, which he's telling God, Lord, it seems as if you've failed me, and it seems as if I'm off on a wild goose chase. He changes his language in that moment, and he begins to say, God, you never fail. You have the universe at your command. And so I will praise you in spite of the fact that I am in this situation and don't understand it. And as he changed his language from discouragement to praise, an earthquake was sent by God. As the power and the presence of the Lord begin to shake that place. And from that moment in time, the decision that he made not to complain, but to praise in the middle of that changed the atmosphere of the whole second missionary journey and it became the most productive in history. Why? Because in a struggle, he changed his language. 